You take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, and we begin in verse number 12 as we continue working our way through these, these verses. This morning we will almost get to the end of the chapter, but we won't. Genesis 26, verses 12 through 33. It's a little bit of a, of a passage, but I want to read that for us, and then we will uh, get into the, the explanation of it and, and the interpretation of it. Genesis 26, hear the words of God, verse number 12. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions and flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, go away from us. You are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham, his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water's ours. So he called the name of the well Esek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you, and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there, and there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahazath, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us. And let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way and they departed from him in peace. That same day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, we have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Thanks to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we ask simply that you would speak to your servants. We are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We continue following this, this sojourning of Isaac and Gerar. If you remember from last Sunday, Isaac had been forced to leave 
the area he was to this place because of a severe famine that was in the land. God told him to stay. He did. Then he lies about his wife, Rebecca, and uh, causes a bit of a, of a, of a turmoil within the, the, the city of Gerar. And uh, his, his lie is, 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 un, is uncovered, and the truth comes out as it always does. Um, last Sunday, we, we really looked particularly at his marriage. Uh, and then in the evening time, we did look uh, from those 11 verses at this, this uh, other side of the, the neighboring aspect. And this morning, we'll continue looking at this neighboring aspect of his life. Uh, so that's the, the title here is How to Live Among Philistines. Um, none of us live actually among Philistines that I know of. Uh, but when we say that, I'm talking about how to live among people that are not like you. Not like you in a spiritual sense because of your Christian faith, because of your Christian values. You're going to live among people that do not understand, that do not appreciate, and may um, present that misunderstanding or unappreciation in hostile ways. And to do that, we're following the argument of this blessing that we find here in, in, the, in the text. There's three mentions of a blessing, and that will help us uh, structure our, uh, the passage that we have this morning. I'll point them out to you again, so you'll see them in verse number 12. We find that uh, God had blessed Isaac in Gerar. Then in verse number 24, we find that God had blessed uh, Isaac in the valley. And then verse 29, God blesses Isaac in Beersheba. And this morning, I want us to focus in on the truth that God's blessing is greater than man's approval or man's rejection. And the second part of this is that God's blessing is what allows us to live among the Philistines. Or, put another way, allows us to live in an unfriendly and sometimes even hostile world. So let's get the story uh, as we've read it, let's make sure that we understand what's going on. First of all, we see that God blessed Isaac in Gerar. Now, Isaac has been in Gerar for some time, at least a year, as we see in verse number 12. And for a, at least a year, Isaac was welcome, and he was, they were fine to have him there, but then the feelings changed. Now, we see that Isaac is where God wanted him to be, and that's an important part of that because we need to see that God was blessing him where he had told him to be. And uh, Isaac is increasing in wealth, and it's not because of his inheritance from, from his father Abraham. We've already seen that he's inherited that back in a previous chapter, but now the, the narrator is telling us that God is blessing him presently in not just what he's already had, but what he continues to get from, uh, well, from his, uh, his, his uh, material uh, endeavors here, his planting and sowing and, 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 and cattle raising and all of those things. And so he has a 100-fold harvest in one year. I don't, I, I don't plant things, but I think that's a lot. And uh, if you've ever planted something and you got a hundred of anything from that, I guess that's a pretty good yield. And his wealth keeps growing. And it's not just in, in uh, corn or, or barley or whatever it is that he's raising, but also in, as he grows uh, in the number of servants, as he grows in the flocks and the herds and, the, and all of these different things. And somewhere along this line, the people of Gerar turn their, uh, their, their feelings 
about Isaac in a negative way, and they, they envy him. Notice that it says that, that they envied him. And they expel him from the place. They don't want him around anymore. This, this envy here is, is more than simple jealousy. It's not that they said, well, we wish we could be successful like that, because he wasn't the only guy planting. And it, it, it makes sense if, if, if he's doing so great, they're not doing as great. Otherwise, there's no need to be envious. So he is excelling above all of these other people of Gerar. He's not even a, 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 an owner. He's not even a, a, a resident. He's just a visitor here, and he's, he's taken all our jobs. That's, that's, the, that's the mentality that we can see. He's taken all of our wealth, and they envy him. And this envy moves from an inner desire of jealousy outward into hostile uh, reaction. So this is not just a feeling that they have, but it comes out in hostility. This is, the, this is what envy is. And so they kick him out. Now, as we follow these three sections here, uh, if, you, if you're paying attention to what happens in the book of Exodus, you might begin to, 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 to catch what would be the opposite of an echo, right? An echo comes afterwards. This is coming before Exodus. Uh, but it rings of the Exodus story. We have Exodus uh, in Egypt. Then they, uh, and the, and the, the, for a time, they're welcome and they're blessed and they're happy. And then, then the feelings change. And uh, if you, if, for instance, Exodus 1 and verse 7, it says, The people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who didn't know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. That's what Abimelech said to Isaac here. You're too mighty for us. Goes back to verse 10 of Exodus. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. So we continue to see this seed of the serpent versus seed of the woman. Uh, there's the people of God versus the people of Satan, and they are they are uh, fighting. There's war going on. There is not uh, this this uh, giving up of one side. As God blesses uh, His people, uh, Satan is continuing to fight against the seed of the woman. And we see as they move on, the second section begins to sound a little bit like Israel in the wilderness, and then finally, as Isaac makes it into Beersheba, it seems. Uh, to, to recall us to future events of the promised land. So God blesses Isaac and Gerar, but then the men of the, of the city kick him out and say, we don't want you around here. We want, if the land is that fruitful, we want it for ourselves. And so they kick him out, and Isaac makes his way to the valley of Gerar, which is uh, 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 the outside, if you think about a wilderness. This was, this was a place, predominantly, uh, the, the, or the big thing that we need to recognize about this place is that there was no civilization out here, which meant that Isaac had to go find water for himself. Now, those of us who are in 21st century America were saying, well, just find the closest you know, uh, water, water uh, uh, faucet and turn that on, and there you go. Uh, why can't he just, you know, the water's everywhere, right? But not in the desert, and not in those days. You had to find it. You had to go dig for it. And so Isaac is forced to leave the established civilization where water was abundant, and he was doing great, and everything was, was great with him. But now he has to go out into the wilderness, and Isaac begins to dig. And uh, he, he redigs Abraham's wells. Now, we're not going to be able to go back and look at it, but if you want to look back later on at Genesis 21 and verse 25, there is a connection here because Abraham also dug wells in this area 
and was and had bought the rights for them. So the wells that Isaac is redigging up belonged to him because they were his father's. But the Philistines here, the, the people of Gerar, are, are reassuming what was what was agreed upon by Abimelech and Abraham's treaty, Genesis 21. But so uh, we, we find that uh, as Isaac digs a well, then, then uh, they, they find it and like, all right, we can, do, we can do something now. And then the men of the city say, no, no, no. The men of the valley say, no, no, that's our, that's our water. Uh, get out of here. And Isaac leaves. And he does it three or four times. And he names the wells by the reaction that he has. One means contention and, 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 and strife and so on. And then finally he gets to Rehoboth, which means finally they're not going to kind of claim this from me. I can do something here. And then he moves on into this place called Beersheba, verses 23 down to the rest of our passage. And here we find the second appearance of God to Isaac. These are big deals. These are not... Uh, these are not happening all of the time. So whenever God appears to someone, it's a really big deal. And as we find here, God reissues the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And we find the same language here once again. Verse 23, God says, uh, don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you and I will bless you and multiply your offspring. So this is the reissuing or at least the reminding of God's promise from him to Abraham, now from him to Isaac. And based on this, and we talked last week about how Isaac, uh, he kind of fluctuated in faith, and sometimes he was strong in faith, and other times he just flat out fell on his face. Uh, here, Isaac has another win, and Isaac believes the promise of God, and notice his threefold response. First of all, worship. He builds an altar and calls upon the name of God. Then secondly, he settles down. He pitches his tent there. He says, okay, God has promised to bless me. I'm staying here. This is where God, uh, God would have me to be. And finally, he begins to dig water, uh, dig full water, digging wells. This is what he's going to need if he's going to survive and provide for his family. So uh, God has blessed him. This is the blessing that God has given. Now we have uh, uh, Isaac's response of faith. And finally, Abimelech comes and he makes Peace terms, a, a, a treaty of peace. Look at verse number 28. He comes and he comes to uh, Abimelech and, and Phicol and, and Hazath come and uh, they, they, Isaac's like, why are you here? You've kicked me out. You don't, you don't like me. You hate me. Why are you here? And they say, well, we want to make peace. And it says in verse 28, we see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Notice before, they envied him, and they rejected him. They didn't want anything to do with them, but they've been watching him this whole time. They've been looking at, with jealousy, mind you, but still looking at him and noticing that God is blessing this man in the city, in the wilderness, wherever he goes. God is blessing this man. Uh, we see plainly that the Lord is with you. And then they say, we, we want to make a covenant. And notice how they finish it in verse 29, because you are the blessed of the Lord. Now, this even this peace treaty is almost identical to the treaty that Abimelech and Abraham made back in chapter 21. So to understand this story, you really should go back and at least familiarize yourself with, with uh, what happened in Abraham, but for a lot of the same reasons. And notice even they present themselves in a better light than Moses does. Because it says, we haven't done anything to you but good, except we stole all the wells that you redug. But we're not talking about that. But Isaac doesn't bring that up. Isaac just, well, he just makes peace. He, he 
they do the they do the whole ceremony. They do the oath. He feeds them, and and they go away in peace. And finally, we get to the end of the story, and Isaac is settled in a place where he can live at peace in the land with the people. And what we need to what, what kind of governs all three of these these chapters in the story is that when wherever he was, and no matter what the circumstances were. God was blessing Isaac. And it didn't matter that the location kept changing, and it didn't matter that the feelings of the people kept changing. One day they like him, one day they hate him. One day they want him around, one day they, 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 they want him out of here. It didn't matter. It didn't matter whether the, they were hostile or friendly. God was going to bless Isaac. And this is, this is what we, we, we need to understand. First of all, that God's blessing is greater than man's blessing. Or we could say man's approval or man's rejection. It doesn't matter either way. God's blessing is always greater. God's blessing means, and that's, that kind of governs what we have there in your notes there. There's two parts to that. That first means that it's more powerful, greater than man's approval. But it's also more dependable than man's approval. Let me explain what I mean by those two things here. See, God had chosen to bless Isaac. Therefore, it doesn't matter what anybody else tried to do to Isaac. Isaac was blessed. And man's disapproval does not cancel out God's blessing. Man's hostility does not cancel out God's blessing. Man's approval does not somehow aid or benefit or add to God's blessing. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't equal it. It doesn't take away from it in any way or add to it in any way. This is what I mean by God's blessing is better. It's more powerful. And Isaac, though he was unwelcome and unappreciated by the locals, was blessed and promised and led and cared for by God. But also, God's blessing is more dependable than man's. How many times have the Philistines changed their feelings about Isaac in just these verses? But God is always the same. Man is fickle. Man is constantly changing. Some of us uh, woke up feeling pretty good today. Some of us woke up feeling depressed or distracted or tired or whatever. And it could all change tomorrow. It could change before the service is over. It could change before you get home. But God is not like that, is it? He is always the same. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we can, we can find comfort and strength in the fact that God doesn't change. And that the unchanging God is the one who makes the promise, not fickle, ever-changing man. Emily Dickinson wrote a poem, a very short poem. I just actually came across it last night as I was reading something, and it's about fame. Maybe you, you, you might know it if you, if you uh, read Emily Dickinson. Uh, she says, fame is like a bee. Uh, and she goes on, I can't quote it, even though it's only four lines, because I only read it yesterday, folks. I didn't memorize it. Uh, but uh, she says that fame is like a bee in that it, it has a song, it has a sting, but it also has a wing. Fame can do something wonderful for you, Fame can also hurt you, and fame is also fleeting. It's also gone. And the same could be said about men's favor. Men's favor is wonderful. Everyone likes it when people like them. But it doesn't last, does it? 
Those good friends that you thought were lifelong and somehow something silly breaks the friendship or separates or whatever, and you think, what happened there? I have no idea how, that, how this could have happened because that's how people are. But God is not like that. God is faithful to his promises despite Isaac's earlier unfaithfulness and the unfriendliness of the Philistines. So what does that mean for us? God's blessing for Isaac and for us today allows us to live and better thrive in an ever-changing, unfriendly, sometimes hostile world. Because of God's promises to Isaac, he could live among jealous, deceitful, and unfriendly Philistines. And no matter where he was or how these people treated him, God blessed him. And see, it's not just about surviving in the land. Yeah, Isaac was digging wells. He needed water. But he kept finding them, didn't he? At just the right times. Isaac was not just surviving. He was thriving in the land, wherever he was. And the gospel allows us to do the same thing. The gospel is the good news that God has shown favor to his people. That's what the angel said when Jesus was born, right? Uh, uh, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. The gospel reminds us that God is faithful to his promise, though we are not. The gospel reminds us that God is good, though we are not. Christian, if you have Christ, if you are a Christian, you have Christ. Know that you're blessed. You are blessed. If you ever ask Paul Sears, how are you doing? There's a 99% chance he's going to say the same thing every time, right? What's he going to say? I'm blessed. It's true. You are. He is, see? He is blessed. And it's not that he's drumming that up. It's that he is, and he recognizes that. And, and we, are, uh, we are all blessed because we're in Christ. Because in Christ Jesus, we have all the blessings uh, that God has given you and I are sons of Abraham, and that means sons of Isaac by faith, and heirs of the same promises. God's blessings allow us to live in a world then where we suffer, in a world where we are mistreated, where we are misunderstood, and sometimes unappreciated and unwelcomed. Now, living in this part of the country, we may not experience all that that means, but you go uh, somewhere else in the world and Christians daily live like this. And it could change for us here. But the blessings of God allow us not only to live somewhere, but to thrive in a place where we are going to suffer. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but the world will not love you if you're a Christian. John writes, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus himself said that we would be mistreated and rejected. He said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world's not going to love you. It might like you for 
Time might like you for some things, but there are, will be other things, and at times you will see the, the true colors. But know that the world's favor isn't necessarily a good thing. Because Jesus said, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. If the world likes you, what does that say about your Christianity? I'm not saying that the world, everybody needs to think we're jerks, right? That's how they'll know we're Christians by our jerkiness. No, but when nobody disagrees with you, everybody likes you, something's wrong. That's what Jesus said. God's blessings not only allow us to live in a world where we suffer, God's blessings will allow us to suffer mistreatment without seeking revenge. That's what we find from Isaac here. Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, turning the other cheek. I smite you on the one, turn the other cheek. Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you have been called, suffering, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He goes on to say, Jesus committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. No revenge. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to one who judges justly. The gospel brings the blessings of God, and with these blessings we can suffer, but also not seek revenge. Now, this does not mean that we're cowards. It does not mean that we're pacifists. Uh, John Calvin wrote that this passage teaches us that it is lawful for the faithful to complain of their enemies in order, if possible, to recall them from their purpose of doing injury and to restrain their force and frauds and active injustice. He says, God does not require of his people that they should silently digest every injury which may be afflicted upon them. It's not what we're not, we're not, we don't love being beaten up. And we keep walking up to the bully saying, can I have some more? That's not what it means. But it does mean that we don't go and seek revenge for the times that we are mistreated. Why? Because we recognize that vengeance belongs to God. More on that in a moment. Thirdly, God's blessings allow us not only to suffer, but to seek to live at peace. We can seek peace. Because we have the blessings of God. This means that for us to succeed, we know that we don't have to lie, cheat, and steal to get ahead. Most of the people out in the world have a completely opposite philosophy, don't they? I need to climb on top of someone else to get over them to ascend the ladder of success. I need to step on anybody who gets in my way. I need to do whatever is needed to be done to succeed. But Christians know I don't have to do any of that. It frees you to live better and live at peace when you know I have the blessings of God. It may not mean that you're going to be a multi-bajillionaire one day, but it does mean that you are blessed and that you don't have to go and seek your own fortune. It's not a rat race. It's not every man for himself out there. 
I read across something uh, uh, very interesting. It was I was reading something totally separate, and then uh, I, I, it was kind of, when I came back to this, a thought from that reading popped into my head. There's a, a Puritan. His name is Thomas Manton, and uh, he was uh, writing about how our communion with the church uh, teaches us about the communion between Father, Son, and Spirit. But in that, he said that we are to walk as those that are one, as Christ and his Father are one, seeking one another's welfare. And then this is the line that got me. Rejoicing in one another's graces and gifts as if they were our own. Now, you and I have an easy time rejoicing in our own gifts. But what he, what Manton is talking about is rejoicing in another person's gift as if it were yours. Why can we do that? Because we are a part of the body of Christ. We are members of the same body. So if my hand is incredibly talented, my foot can get excited about that because it belongs to the same body that is going to accomplish great things. And if you recognize blessing in a brother or sister in Christ, you can rejoice in their blessing and their prosperity just as if it were yours. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to share. You know, I'm excited that so-and-so brought cookies to work because I hope they share. Not because, you know, I'm really glad that they have cookies. But in the, in the, in the, in the church, as we recognize that God is blessing not just me, but all people, I can rejoice. We can rejoice with the citizens for their new baby. Rejoice, if anything, you're not the one staying up with her all night. But rejoice in the blessing that God has given to somebody else. We know that we don't have to take advantage of others and be faster and smarter than the rest in order to get ahead. We have God's blessing. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, what about the martyrs? I mean, the martyrs, I mean, they were not at peace. I mean, that's why they're martyrs, right? They died for their faith. And all throughout history, uh, people died for their faith. And you can't possibly say that they were living at peace. What about verses like Proverbs 16, 7 that say, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with them. Does that mean that if I'm not living at peace, that my ways don't please God? No. The greatest... Of the martyrs, Jesus Christ was killed by his enemies. We wouldn't dare say that he wasn't blessed by God. The scriptures warn us that we're going to suffer persecution. And if we, for those who would live godly in Christ, they are going to pay the price for it. We are told, though, to seek peace. To pursue peace, Psalm 34, 14. But it may be out of our hands. It may not be God's plan for us to live at peace. It wasn't God's plan for his son to come and live in a world that was at peace. He had to be crucified. And friends don't crucify friends. He had to have enemies. It was in the plan. And we can't guarantee that living right is going to mean peace with our neighbors. Not everybody's going to like a Christian, especially not one who is living according to God's ways. Especially not a Christian who speaks the truth and doesn't lie and doesn't let lie go on. People don't appreciate that. Oh, when it doesn't really affect me, it's okay. But when 
You start making me feel guilty about my sin based on the way you live or by the way that you call spade a spade and sin, sin. I don't like that very much. And people respond in different ways to that. No, we may not be able to achieve peace, but we were not commanded to do to, to achieve peace. Even the proverb there tells us that it is God who makes the peace. And that, when it is in his plan. We may not be able to achieve peace. We should still seek after it and trust God to make peace for us. Let me share just three ways to live among Philistines in in just a few moments that we have left. How to live among Philistines. First of all, and these are in order. So you must do this first one before you can do the second or the third. First of all, trust God and seek him whenever, wherever you are in whatever the circumstance is. When you are favored by the people, trust God and seek him. When you are rejected by the people, trust God and seek him. In other words, we must learn to value God's blessing over the approval of man. If we get those mixed up, uh, we're all, it's all a mess. And, and there's a lot of people out there like that. And even that will, that will claim the title Christian, they value the favor of man over the favor of God. Man's approval is deceptive. It's difficult to acquire and even harder to maintain. But God's approval is constant. And it comes through Jesus Christ. And you're in Christ, you have it. Value the favor of God above all the rest. God knows your situation. God knows who your neighbors are. God can make good things come out of bad situations. Nothing that man can do will prevent or hinder God from blessing you in the way he has intended to do it. Secondly, once you've learned to trust in God and value his blessing over others, seek to live at peace with all people. If we get that mixed up, we will seek peace at any price at the expense of pleasing God. That's why so many times people people find it easier to stay silent and let the world do its thing than stand for truth because we want peace, but we forget that peace with God is greater than peace with man. Fear not those who can only kill your body. Fear the one who can kill your body and soul in hell. Men's favor is nice, and we all want to be liked. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying if an unsaved person likes you that you're doing something wrong. I am saying that that's not always going to happen. If you can't find favor with man, at least find peace. Seek peace and pursue it, Psalm says. Romans 12, 18 was read for us this morning. If possible, Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And if you can't find peace, continue looking to God, trusting and waiting in him. Thirdly, don't seek revenge when you are mistreated. Why? Because as Romans 12, again, very next verse says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Trust God. That's, that's, that there comes back to it again, because you trust that God will exact the proper vengeance at the proper time. He will not let anybody slide with anything. And it may not happen in your time or my time, but it will happen in the perfect time and at the perfect degree. We don't have to seek vengeance ourselves. God may, in fact, turn their hostility into favor. 
making peace for you. Notice it worked for Isaac, but it took some time. And God made peace for Isaac with the Philistines. And when the Philistines came to make peace, he didn't show spite. He didn't say, no, forget you. I only need God. You guys are jerks. I don't want anything to do with you anymore. No, and, and he didn't even argue the finer details. When they, when they said, oh, we've done nothing but good to you. Seriously? Let's bring up the past events. No, he didn't do that. He just, he made peace. We live in a world that has rejected its creator and its God. And if they've rejected their God and their king, then they will reject his people also. And when Christians do what is right and obey God and enjoy his blessings, is going to make some people very angry and envious. And that may result in outward action, expression of that jealousy, that envy. Now, we may enjoy peace at times, and we'll thank God for that. If we live at peace and you have unsaved neighbors and they like you and, and you have a great relationship, then thank God for that because that is a blessing of God. But we may not have peace with our neighbors or our coworkers or our family, and it may be out of our hands. We've tried, and we continue to try but we still trust God and remember that peace with God is better than peace with men. But let us remember that the peace of God, the people of God have always lived among people who envy and reject and mistreat them to some degree. Yet, like our Lord, we bless our persecutors, pray for our enemies, trust our God, and do good. Seek peace with those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to make peace by the blood of his cross. To suffer on our behalf. To suffer innocently for us. Thank you for making peace so that we might have peace with you and through that, be able to live in this world and make peace with other people, to forgive other people who have, who have offended us and, and really hurt us because you've forgiven us of greater things. To love those who hate us, to bless them and to pray for them, to do good to them, even though they would mistreat us and take advantage of us as every opportunity gives. Lord, remind us of how great your blessing is for us. It's, it's so great, it overshadows all the little pettiness of this world. And for a time, we may suffer misfortune and mistreatment, but the blessings that you have promised even now outweigh and outlast the little things that we suffer here. So much that we could, like the, 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 the apostle says, that, they're, they're temporary and minor afflictions, even though they may be great suffering, because they pale in, very, in comparison to the promises that you have given to us. Help us then to live in this world, in this area, at our workplace, in our school, in a way that first honors you, 
my, our trusting and our waiting for you and our living according to your command. But in a way that also seeks to live at peace with those around us, that, that forgives and seeks forgiveness from those that we sometimes the, the, the lack of peace is, is partly our, our, our fault. Help us to seek forgiveness from those that we have offended. And be humble and honest about that and seek to make peace with those around us. And should that not be your will, should that not be the, 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 the reality that we have at the current time, may we continue to trust and look to you and value the peace that you have given to us above the peace that we might temporarily gain with men. Lord, help us, please, to live in this community in a way that honors you and blesses those around us, please. For Jesus' sake.